Welcome to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this week's episode, we have Dr. Daniel Labby. So Dr. Labby is a sports and performance vision specialist. He's been working with several professional sports and organizations and, and players for decades. And, uh, you know, he, he, is, he consults for several Major League Baseball organizations and, and has some great stories in this episode, too. And he's someone who, um, you know, I have a ton of questions for him, and he, and he, answers, he answers all of them. And it's, a lot of it's, it's backed by research, or you know, he'll clarify if it's something that's anecdotal, too. So I enjoyed this one. I appreciate Dr. Labby for, for coming on. Go, go grab his book. He's got a new book out. It's called Eye of the Champion, and we'll put that link in the show notes. And so that, that's something that I recommend. It's a great book, and you know, I've been happy to get my own my own hands on it. I've learned a lot from that. I also want to note for, for those of you who you know are in season or are going to be in season two is I do have a, a mental game training program. So if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, during the season on the mental side of the game, whether it be approach, confidence, routine, um, all these things, game planning, send me an email, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com, and we'll see if we're good fit to work together. So jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com if you want to work with me on the mental game this season. All right, here we go with Dr. Daniel Labby. All right, we know. Welcome on, Dr. Labby, to the podcast. Thanks for so much for coming on today. Thanks, Patrick. Looking forward to it. So, I, a few weeks ago, we I did a, a podcast on vision with with Ryan Harrison. I'm sure you're familiar with his dad, Dr. Bill Harrison, who's you know was around for a really long time. Uh, take me through on how you got started into uh, getting into sports vision and and working with different teams and players. Like, how did that all come about for you? Absolutely. Well, totally by accident, which is kind of interesting. Um, when I was doing my my fellowship at UCLA um, in uh, pediatric ophthalmology and actually binocular vision using both eyes together, uh, they had a project that they wanted to finish that the previous fellow had started and uh, everyone had to do a project to graduate that program. I didn't want to do someone else's project. That sounded not much fun, um, but it was kind of interesting a little bit. And that project had to do with uh, testing the vision of the LA Dodgers which they had done a few months before, but didn't finish analyzing the data and had it written the paper. And I negotiated, if you will, with the uh, director of the program and said, you know, I'll, I'll do the, take up the data, I'll do the project, but I want to be the first author. I want to be able to organize everything and kind of run it myself. He agreed. And it ended up being the first paper on sports vision in a standard ophthalmology journal in the medical literature. We published that in 1996. Um, and that work with the Dodgers continued for about 16 or 18 years. Uh, each year, spring training, coming back to work with them and correct the vision and, and work uh, with uh, the different players and coaches and so forth. Uh, and once, uh, you know, we got a few years, other teams heard about it and asked, you know, how they can get involved. And it kind of blossomed from there to uh, eight World Series championships, lots of league championships working with lots of teams, working with lots of players, and, you know, hopefully uh, making a difference for these guys. So how, how does it work? I mean, I think most people that they know when it comes to vision and testing their vision, they're familiar with going to the eye doctor and having the, the Snell chart, that type of a thing. But so how does it work when you're going to different 
organ, you know, spring trainings or just working with different players? Like, is there a, an assessment that's maybe more applicable to to baseball players or hitters? Absolutely. Well, what we've designed over the years is something called the sports vision pyramid. And if you think about a pyramid, the bottom of the pyramid is pretty broad uh, to support the pyramid. And it kind of goes up in stage, getting narrower as you get to the top. And if you have a pyramid built like that, you have a very stable pyramid, just like the ones in Egypt or in South America that have lasted for thousands of years. What each of those levels of pyramid is different parts of the vision, visual system that have to do with performance in sports. And so, for example, one of the top things is like hand-eye coordination, how fast you can react to something. Well, if you train that and make that really good, you have a very wide part on top. But if you don't work on the base, you have a narrow base and you have a pyramid that's going to fall over and it's not be very stable or useful. So you want to start from the bottom, working your way up and you start the bottom in what just basic vision, what each eye can do by itself in terms of vision. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Then you look at how both eyes work together. That gives you a 3D depth perception. Then you look at how the brain uses that visual information to make a decision about you know, what to do, a go, no-go type decision. And then you look at how the brain uses the vision to guide a motor action to actually intercept the ball with your feet, with your hands, uh, shoot a basket, whatever the sport is. And if all that's optimized properly, then the top of the pyramid is you know, on field or on court performance that's optimal. And so what you have to do and what a lot of, I think, sports vision specialists miss is the idea of working from the bottom up to make sure you have a wide base that can support excellent performance higher up on the pyramid to get to excellent performance on the top of the pyramid. And so we look at one-eyed vision tests. We don't use the Snellen chart. The Snellen chart is a very poor test of vision, does not correlate to actual performance on the field. Um, we, we, our first paper in 1996 talked about what the average vision on the Snellen chart is for athletes. And it's, the answer is 20 over 12, um, where 2020 is normal vision. 2015 is a little bit better. 2012 means you can see as an athlete from 20 feet, what the average person sees from 12 feet, you can be eight feet further away and still see it. Um, and that's the average. And there's some people that get to the human limited vision, which is about 20 over eight. Um, meaning that they can be 12 feet further than average person to still see it. Uh, but it doesn't correlate to on-field on performance or batting performance. So we developed a system to test a much more realistic um, measure of vision, which has to do with the size of a target, the contrast of the target, and how long you can view the target. Uh, and that does correlate. We published those papers uh, about how that relates to uh, what's called plate discipline uh, metrics in baseball, and that does correlate. And so you have to use the right test to measure vision and you have to start at the right place in the pyramid as you work up to make sure everything's optimized to get the full benefit of all the training and all the intervention you're doing. Yeah, that was really good info. I, I like the pyramid concept of starting at the bottom and working your way all the way to the top. So do you, I guess, do you see some of the mistakes are just doing, you know, maybe like the Brock string drill or just doing random drills and not really knowing what they need to specifically work on like is first of all maybe the question should be like is doing those stuff those types of exercises beneficial regardless or could it not be that beneficial at all if you don't really know the underlying issue well let's think about medicine in general if you go to a doctor and um are you still there yep i'm here let's say you go to a doctor and the doctor gives you an antibiotic or gives you tylenol right if you have a fever, Tylenol works really well to lower your fever, or aspirin works really well to lower your fever. If you don't have a fever, it's not going to do very much for you. Uh, also, you don't want to go to the doctor that gives everybody the same treatment. 
In other words, if you come in with one problem, another person comes with another problem, you better get different treatments because you have different problems. Um, if you go to a sports vision specialist who says everyone needs to do a Brock string because it's going to help you perform better, to me, that's a big red flag. You want to have the person evaluate what you can do, find out what areas of weakness you have, and design a treatment plan to improve those areas that are a problem for you. And other people have other areas of problems, and the treatment will be different. And unfortunately, in sports vision, lots of people have a cookbook. Everyone has to do this. Everyone has to do that, regardless of individualizing the care. And, you know, we used to treat people like that in about 1500 or 1600. Everyone got leeches to suck out blood. Uh, and nowadays, we have a much better system where we can evaluate with lab tests, x-rays, MRIs, CTs, whatever it may be, to identify the problem design the treatment for that problem that's been shown to work. It's called evidence-based medicine that's been shown to work to make a difference and not to do things that we think just might make a difference, but there's no evidence for it. Mm. Is there any any way or any tips for for maybe people out there listening who maybe they, they can't necessarily, they don't have access to get a, an, a, an in-depth exam like you just talked about right there, but they still want to improve their vision? Yep. And that that that's a great lead into the reason why why I, I wrote I wrote the book, um, because what I found was exactly that. You know, I, I'm in New, I'm I'm head, headquartered in New York City. You know, I travel to major league teams. They pay me to travel, and that's fine. But the general single athlete, you know, can't bring me out to their hometown with all my equipment to to do a test. It's not feasible. Um, so the most important thing is knowledge, is to understand what sports vision is how we can use sports vision to evaluate, to, to train, to treat, to correct, to improve our performance, understand that. And then, you know, you go to a regular, your local eye doctor, and if they tell you, well, you're 2020, you know, you're great, you don't need glasses, but you've read the book. Now you know that 2020 isn't good enough to hit a baseball. You need 2015 or better. And if you're educated, you'll tell the doctor, well, that's great. I'm happy I'm 2020, but I need to play base. I want to play baseball. I'm going to do well. I'm going to get a scholarship. I want to move on, you know, maybe a professional career. I need vision better than that, Doc. I need like 2015 or better. Can you give me glasses to get me that? And if you have that knowledge and you ask that, you have a chance for success. If you go in there and not know anything, the doctor says, you're 2020, you're normal, your eyes are fine, goodbye. You leave. And now you're leaving not knowing with a deficit that's going to impact your performance. So knowledge is the best thing. And we, you know, the book is one, one way to get it. Uh, I'm actually today working on a course, uh, an online course, uh, the fundamentals of uh, foundations, fundamentals of sports vision that people can can get that way. And I think that is another way to educate yourself. YouTube, I have 13,000 people on my YouTube channel that watch my YouTubes every week to educate themselves about, and it's free, totally free, educate themselves about sports vision, all different topics. Um, you know, it's, it's, they're short, short videos. It's not, you learn everything in one video and it's a little bit of a hassle to click through all the videos, but you know, the different ways to, to get knowledge. And if you gain knowledge, then you're armed with what you need to speak to your local doctor without having to go, you know, come to New York, you're welcome to, but you don't have to travel to New York to have this done with me, but you'll have enough knowledge to get the benefit of what we've learned over the last several decades in sports vision. What's a, what's a nugget? Like what's one nugget from the book that, that you think people would enjoy to hear? Well, the book, the book has anecdotes about my, you know, different case studies and anecdotes about my experience. I like anecdotes. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different ones in there. Some of them are sort of embarrassing, like the time I ran over Tommy Lasorda's foot. Um, <laughs> uh, you can read about that there. Other ones are, are are more, you know, more heartwarming, if you will. You know, someone who has a severe vision problem that was having trouble when crossing streets in New York City because she didn't see cars making turns and was getting 
getting injured uh, because she doesn't have peripheral vision, how we could use sports vision, not to help her necessarily perform as an athlete, but to help her avoid getting hit by cars. Um, uh, there's a story in there about my work with uh, Manny Ramirez um, from the Boston uh, Red Sox in 2004, where he was having problems. And that season was pivotal for the team. They, they won the World Series for the first time in, in many decades. And he became the MVP based on a training, you know, somewhat based on a training regimen. And we talk about that as one of the anecdotes. So there's a lot of kind of fun anecdotes to kind of hear about little background backstories of some of these guys that, that players might recognize their names from the past. Um, you know, so in terms of science data, I think this, this what we mentioned, the idea that 2020 isn't good enough, uh, that if you think about vision and what you see, that 2020 number doesn't cut it in most sports, even in, you know, certain sports like uh, soccer or football in the UK, for example, 2020 is not the answer either. You know, 2015 or better. That's what studies have shown. Um, and there, there's a great video on um, online that you can watch from Red Bull. Um, it's called Trent's Vision. It's about Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's uh, the right back, right midfielder for the Liverpool uh, club, uh, who's an exceptional player that we spent time testing, training, and testing again. And Red Bull made a 47-minute documentary about that process, which goes through everything about sports vision. So it gets into the knowledge part where if you watch that you'll learn a lot about sports vision it's very entertaining because you see Trent struggling through a lot of the work we did with him but then you see a success at the end and he ended up getting selected finally for the world cup team from England uh, he got injured but he didn't play but he was selected to play um, for the club where he was initially actually not on the team and so I think some of what we uh, did helped him somewhat and you'll see some of that in his performance as well so there's lots of resources online. There's lots of nuggets. There's lots of pieces of, of knowledge. And you don't have to know everything in one day. You can learn pieces over time, and every piece will help. Yeah, I actually, um, I assume it's probably the same videos, but I do like following you on LinkedIn because it is those really short videos. And it's um, like one really good tip. Like you said, I kind of like it because it's shorter. So it's not, doesn't take up, you know, 10, 15 minutes of your time. It's just a couple minutes, um, if that. And so some really good content put out there. I did watch that Red Bull documentary too mm -hmm. with you. That was really cool. It was really well done as well. I mean, obviously Red Bull, they, um, they of course did, you know, went very professional with the whole thing, but it was, that was really neat to watch. Um, is there, is there anything that's maybe, maybe it is backed by science. Maybe it's not backed by science, but, and maybe it's an anecdote, but is there anything that you have seen from all the players you've tested over the years? And this is what you, you believe. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So like from a hitting coach standpoint, you know, it's always, it says, you know, Hey, you should pull the ball in the air, right? You should get hitters should pull the ball in the air to, to be more productive. Well, that's definitely true. But like, I guess maybe an anecdote is, is like they shouldn't actually try to pull the ball in the air in order for it to go in the air and pull side, right? They should try to go opposite field. Is there any anecdotes that you have when it comes to vision or vision training? Yeah, you know, the whole process of hitting is a matter of prediction. You you need to, you know, it takes a, a quarter of a second, basically, for the ball to get, depending on how fast it's pitched, a 90-mile-an-hour fastball to get to – um get the home plates about 400 milliseconds. It takes about, which is four tenths of a second. It takes about 150 milliseconds to swing at a bat. So you have about a quarter of a second, 250 milliseconds to actually see the pitch, decide if you're going to swing or not, and initiate the motor action to swing. You know, when you think about moving your hand, it happens pretty quick in real time, but it's measurable. There's a certain amount of delay from when you decide to, your brain decides to move your hand and your hand starts moving. 
And when you're talking about a pitch that's fast and it only takes four hundred, you know, less than less than half a second to get the home plate, you have to start your swing in a quarter second. And if you think about it, a blink is a third of a second. So we're talking about faster than a blink. Uh, you have to decide to start your swing. That becomes very important to do things quickly, and it becomes very important to be able to predict where the ball is going to be based on what you're seeing in that quarter second time. And if I was a batter, and, and I've tried batting, and there's I think some of that in the book as well. Uh, it didn't didn't go too well. Uh, my batting experience, both in terms of success, which was very poor, and as well as in terms of how I felt afterwards, my hands were swollen, my hips hurt. It, it, it was interesting, but it wasn't fun to do. Uh, so I can appreciate, you know, that it's not it's not easy. And if you're obviously doing it for a profession, it's it's much harder. Um, but the point is, if you can master that prediction then you have the best chance to affect where the ball is going to go, whether you're trying to pull it or you're trying to hit the opposite field, whatever you want to do, you'll be able to do because you have plenty of time to do it because you've been able to predict on the path of the ball early on in its release. You know, the concept of following the ball to hit the bat is total fallacy. Uh, we can't uh, follow the ball fast enough. Our eyes can't move fast enough to follow the ball. Number one, number two, following the ball and assuming that that following is intended to help you change your swing or, or, or hit the ball better. Remember, it takes time to see something, decide something, start a motor action. By the time that happens, the ball is in the catcher's glove. And so it's purely a matter of predicting. And you've seen batters, you know, swing at balls. They'd say, how can you swing at that? It's ridiculous. Well, his prediction was wrong, right? He saw the early trajectory and he thought it was going to be one place and it was somewhere else. And, and that's fine. That's not, that's part of the, the problem. You know, remember in baseball that if you're, if you are wrong 70% of the time, you make millions and millions and millions of dollars. If I were in medical school and I got 70% of my medical questions wrong, I wouldn't be a physician. Yeah, you wouldn't be on this podcast right now. Exactly. And so that, you know, batting is a known difficult task. Um, but if you master these little incremental changes that have to do with sports vision, you can certainly improve the outcomes. Mm, I gotcha. I like that. I like that. What, um, what are some of the things that that you've seen from players when it comes to like LASIK surgery? Like, is that something that players should look into more or less? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on that, and I published some papers about that as well. Um, one of the papers we published, and, and we early on, you know, um, baseball players are bright. They 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 read, they talk, they understand what's you know what's happening and what's available. And early on, when the refractive surgery. Uh, started out it started out you know prk and then lasik and different different types of of, of laser procedures um people want to do it and some did and some had good experiences and some did and you didn't hear too much about the bad experiences but they had bad experiences and so we wanted to see if it was worth them to do and we looked at performance on field because most of the time the reason they were doing it because they had the contact lenses bothered them and interfered with their batting and it was dry and that's the reason they weren't hitting well and all these different reasons so we, we didn't care so much about what their vision was. We wanted to see their on-field performance, batting performance before the procedure and the batting performance after the procedure. So we looked to see as many guys as we could who would, you know, had a date of when they had the procedure off season, you know, 2023 versus 2024 off season. So we knew, okay, before 2023 season, we can look at those numbers and we look at the, after that and compare them. We found no statistical difference between performance before or after the procedure. In other words, doing the procedure didn't get rid of all those problems they said that they were having in terms of batting. Now, obviously, there was one play, you know, several, there were players that did better and there were players that did worse. 
but that's the point of doing a study where you get a, a number of people and you put them all together and you look to see is there a difference statistically, mathematically between the intervention, which would be the laser. And so there was no, no improvement according to that on-field performance. The thing is that the laser has risks. And so if you have no benefit, but you have some risk, now the balance between risk benefit is not in your favor anymore. You know, if there's a big benefit and small risk, definitely do it. If there's a big risk and a small benefit, definitely don't do it. You know, nothing is that black and white, but in general, no performance improvement and risks, risks of simple things like not seeing perfectly and need to have another procedure done. You know, if you look at, um, what's his name, the catcher for the, uh, for the Braves several years ago, um, his name is escaping me, who had the procedure, uh, didn't do well, went to minor leagues, was on, was on rehab for a while, had another procedure, many, many, many procedures uh, affected his career. Uh, even the famous Tiger Woods, who often promotes these laser set centers, has had several procedures because he needed retouches, redos to get it right. Well, every time you do a procedure, you run a risk of more risk. I mean, you run a chance of more risk. Um, number two is uh, glare. After the procedure, you can have a lot of glare sensitivity to bright light well if you're playing baseball a lot of your games are at night you have lights on if you get a ball up in the lights you're going to miss it you're not going to see it because it's too much glare and the biggest issue that most people have when they have the procedure is dry eye um, they're dry and especially if you're you know in arizona for example um, it's even worse or high altitudes and you know denver it's worse um, a dry eye uh, is not too uncommon in these refractive procedures and you need to either use eye drops or sometimes you need a procedure to help you with the dryness. Sometimes it doesn't even get better. And so there's def definite risks of the biggest risk. In fact, if you look at big studies of thousands of people looking at many different authors with their experience together, you find out that the vision gets to about 2017 to 2019 on average. Well, that's great because if you're a general person like you or I and you want to get to 2020 or a little bit better, there's a good chance you're going to get there. But I told you the average vision was 2012 for baseball. We need 2015 or better. If the result on average is 2017 to 19, you're less than that. And so where you had 2015 or 2012 vision with your contact lenses, now without the contacts, you're less than that. And so not only have you had risk, but now you have decreased vision as well. And for all those reasons, we don't usually suggest any of the professional athletes I work with to do the in baseball to do laser surgery. I have had one or two people that have real problems with the contacts and are just, you know, tried lots of contacts. We try everything we can to get them to be okay with contacts uh, and glass doesn't work. And we do send them to have it done. But I have a couple people in the country that are really, really good LASIK surgeons. And I send them there uh, to do the procedure and knock on wood, they've all come out okay. Um, and so the importance of who does your procedure is critical as well. So I definitely won't be getting LASIK surgery if I uh, want to play professional baseball or want to get better as a baseball player. That's good to know because I've actually had a few people, hitters, reach out and ask about that. And quite honestly, I didn't know. So you're the perfect person to ask when it comes to that. Um, let's say, let's say I, I, I have a 2020 vision and, you know, I want to be 2015 or better is the first thing you're going to recommend, obviously, after you do the evaluation, your evaluation on me, is it probably going to be going to contacts and trying that first? Or are we going to try different drills and things like that first? Uh, yeah, so there, there's several different, several different um, things to consider. Not everybody can be made to be, you know, 20 over eight, 
perfect vision for human beings. There's two pieces of the system. And if you think about a camera, at least an old-fashioned camera, not digital camera, but old-fashioned film camera, um, you remember when you get your picture, that's going to be dependent on both the film and the lens, right? And how well you focused and how, how the film is developed and so forth. So there's multiple pieces that get to a perfect picture. If you want to get to a perfect vision picture, we have to think about similar things. We have to think about the focus of the eye. That's going to be critical. And that's where glasses or contacts come in. We have to think about how the retina works and how the brain works, even if the picture is focused perfectly, to see whether or not you're going to have a good image. And depending on where the issue is, it might be glasses or contacts if it's a focus problem, or it might be some, some training. There's some brain training type ways we can improve the brain's um, use of vision that's coming from the eyes to get the vision a little better as well. So it, it really depends. Like I said, it's not a one-size-fits-all scenario here. It's an individual measurement, evaluation, a lot of work to make sure we get every fine nuance of the focus proper, and then mm -hmm. we see what vision we get. So obviously everybody out there needs to for sure go and buy the book. And one of the things I really liked how in the, you talked about the most important thing is, is educating people. And for they, when you, when they get their eyes checked and the doctor says, Hey, it's 2020, but Hey, your baseball player needs to be your softball player. It needs to be 2015 or better. Um, what should be their, their next steps? Obviously they don't have you, right? They know they need to get to 2015, um, I, you know, you see different things. I know we we mentioned earlier about some different drills, and I know you had that the Manny Ramirez drill that you created on your own. Um, are, are, should they be looking for certain specific drills to do? Well, the Matt, Manny Ramirez is a hand-eye coordination drill, so that's higher on the pyramid uh, than yeah. just vision. Uh, so that wouldn't be the first thing to do. the The hope would be that when the the player tells the eye doctor, "I need 2015. I'm happy in 2020. I need 2015. Can you get me there?" The doctor will probably make a face because now they have to spend another five or 10 minutes with you to, you know, to try to do that as opposed to seeing the next patient. Um, but what that means is what we call a very careful refraction. Refraction is the process of figuring out what lens may benefit you to see better. Uh, that's that big machine that goes in front of your face with all the different knobs and dials. And you have to look and say, which is better, number one, number two. And that's looking for very small differences in nearsightedness, farsightedness, astigmatism, to make the right combination to try to get that 2015 vision. It takes extra time because you have to be really delicate in each of those uh, changes that you make in the lens to try to get that little bit better vision from 2020 to 2015. Uh, we do, our experience has been that with athletes, they're much more sensitive to small uh, blurring errors. And so if you give the right lens, you can see that improvement. Uh, the average person, if you show them a very small power lens, they'll think it doesn't do anything for them. You show it to an athlete, they'll be like, oh, my gosh, this is so much clearer. And they'll be able to read much better, the letters on the chart. And so that's the first step. If someone is told you're 2020, you're great. Let the doctor know you want 2015 and ask them if there's a very small, weak lens that they wouldn't give to anybody normally that they can give me to get 2015. I want that because I need that level of vision to have the best chance to perform in my sport. Mm, great advice. Love that. What about um, hitters who, you know, they're stepping up to the plate or maybe on the on deck circle. And yeah, obviously it's more of maybe like a band aid than anything else, but it helps them in the moment, even if it is anecdotal. Like, is there anything that you've heard over the years or recommended to hitters to, to help them see better, like when they step in the box? Yeah. Well, you know, the on deck circle is a critically important um, uh, point in the process. Um 
even before you get to the on-deck circle, you better know the pitcher. Uh, you better know what pitches he likes in certain counts. Um, because as I said, this is a matter of prediction. And so if you're able to get your visual information and have an idea how the spin of the ball or the fingers on the release of the ball or the arm slot as the ball is being released, what pitch that suggests. And if you know this, if you, your brain says from your vision, this guy pitches, you know, a two-seamer, but his two-seamer, he doesn't really pitch that very often in this count or in this, you know, at all, then you should say to yourself, well, that's probably not what a two-seamer, it's not a two-seamer because he doesn't do that uh, or he has no slider, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. If you have that knowledge going in, then you have a better chance to use the vision appropriately to decide between maybe hopefully one or two pitches, maybe, mm-hmm. sorry, maybe two to th- one to two or two to three pitches um, to make your decision when you're actually at the plate. So if you're in the on-deck circle, you should have the knowledge ahead of time. You should be watching what's happening with the your teammate who's on the box to see what the count is, what the pitches he's getting and start to recognize the movement of the pitcher and so forth. You know, that's why pitchers tend to have better experience in the beginning of the season. They have less good performance at, towards the end of the season because the batters are familiar with them already, right? Uh, you want to get a step up on that by being in the in the batter, in the um, on-deck circle and start to get that experience. And you should have the knowledge ahead of time in your head about what they can do. You know, there's a lot of studying you have to do when you're a batter. It's not just a matter of walking out there and swinging. And we get into the, when you get into the box, now the counts, you see how the count is going. And based on the count, you should be able to predict which one of two pitches this guy's going to throw. Because most people only do one or two pitches. And, you know, most people, most pitches don't have more than two or three pitches anyway. Um, and in certain counts, you're going to have a pretty good idea what's going to come. And that's just a matter of figuring out where it's going from its initial movement. And so each of those steps becomes critical. So you really need to concentrate Um your eyes need to be optimal, right? Optimized. Uh, and you should have prior knowledge that you can bring in so that you can, when you make this decision, which is a instantaneous subconscious decision, this is not a batting or swinging at a pitch is not a conscious act. It's subconscious, but the more data you have in your subconscious ready to go becomes more efficient and more accurate. I heard somewhere that there's some people whose eyes work better more like when they're going left to right versus others like top down when it comes to being able to hone in on a specific point. And what I'm just thinking of is like the pitcher's release point, right? Is there a way to know like where you should start out looking before you beat the pitcher to release point? Or is that just going to be trial and error? Yeah, you know, so that that brings in what we call the quiet eye. Uh, the quiet eye is really important. Um, we've published some papers on it in, uh, in different sports. It becomes something that, that really will determine whether you'll be successful or not. And if you think about it in, in broad sense, when you move your eyes from left to right very quickly, you don't see a blur as you move your eye. You see where you started and you see where you're trying to go and it goes boom, boom. And the part in between is blacked out is your, your brain suppresses it. That's the medical term we use. It suppresses your vision, so it doesn't interfere with what you're trying to do. Because you, you can imagine if you look around and everything is swishing all the time, it would be hard to know what's going on. So that's something that the brain subconsciously does. So if you're kind of the last moment moving out to release point from looking maybe, what you should have been looking at is where the hand is in the glove and how the hand is holding the ball in the glove. And then when the hand goes behind the back of the pitcher and you can't see his hand anymore, that's where you should move your hand out, your, your eye out to the release point. And keep your eye there, not moving. That's the quiet part, not moving. And so you have maximal visual information. If you do that too late, then you're going to suppress some of the vision. 
You want to get out there ahead of time. And that's part of the on-deck circle, right? When you're in the on-deck circle, you should be seeing where his release is. Where's the release point on this pitcher? So that you can, from the get-go, from pitch number one, know where to move your eyes to and have the best chance to identify the pitch. And so that quiet eye concept in golf and basketball, in ice hockey, in soccer, and certainly in baseball, we've shown it, we've measured it, we use it to, to evaluate players, is critical. Is there any um, research coming out or anything that that you maybe predict will happen when it comes to, to vision in the next, I don't know, five to 10 years or so? Like, are, are we going to be able to, is, is you know, for example, is LASIK surgery going to work on everybody and everyone's going to be able to get 20-20 vision? Like, is there anything out there with how fast technology is improving that you've heard or you've seen or just optimistic for? Well, you say 20-20 vision, remember, that's not good enough. All right, 2012. Uh, 2012 is what I said, 2012. Um, you know, five years, you gave a five-year window. That's a long time in, in technology slash medicine and so forth. So I think they're gonna, they're, they're things before that, um, the question, you know, every year of spring training, for example, when I go down this Friday down to Florida to begin the six weeks in spring training, um, we bring new technology down. And one of the instruments we're bringing down is a new system that was FDA approved last year. Uh, that's going to help us with that, how the eye is performing, um, uh, provision we'll say um and so we bring we and we brought down every year pretty much things sometimes it, we test it it doesn't really make sense doesn't work we don't do it anymore other times we do it and we see oh this correlates to performance we want to use that um and so there's you know those are things that the clubs that i work with frankly the clubs that are more successful at one point i did a, a, a study on this the clubs that have employed this vision type of level at a, at a high level uh, they're the ones who are in the playoffs in the, you know, in the, in the league championships and the, and the world series, um, at least over half, if not two thirds of the clubs this year in 2023 employ a high level vision, vision system. Um, sometimes with me, sometimes with those people, but they all do that. So the clubs that are not thinking in this space are frankly a handicap. They're not going to be in the, they're not going to be in the postseason. They're not going to win, win big, the big money, if you will. Um, and so there's technology that we're using now that, you know, is available, just have to know how to use it. Uh, and I think that's the key. There's lots of systems out there that people use and aren't using them appropriately, fully or optimally. And I think that's uh, an important piece as well. We're seeing VR systems coming into play. Uh, there are several different VR companies that are working in the, in the sports, you know, vision area, if you will, or sports performance area. Some of them are more based on science, some less based on science. Some of them are second round drafts of something didn't work the first time. So they figured if we move to VR, maybe it will work. It doesn't work that way. Um, you know, you, the, the VR resolution isn't good enough to see spin of a ball. The, the systems just aren't fast enough. And the resolution of the, of the images aren't, isn't good enough to see the spin, to see the seams, to see the fingers. And so if you're trying to, you know, have someone replicate a, a pitch, it's just not, you don't see it. Um, and so that's worthless. <laughs> uh, but other systems are designed to kind of work at the, visual abilities that allow you to perform and those types of systems i think are going to be much more uh, beneficial because they allow improvement in in the skills that the player then can use to perform better as opposed to trying to improve their performance directly what are, and, what are some of the systems that you think are better well the one the one system that comes to mind is called reflection um r-e-f-l-e-x-i-o-n or reflection go i think they call it it runs on an Oculus, uh, the Meta Oculus headset, so it's it's a fairly low cost entry point. You don't have to buy it, you know, an, you don't have to buy an Apple 
an Apple headset to do it. Um, you can buy the Meta headsets about three hundred dollars, roughly. It can even be the Meta, the, the Oculus Two. It doesn't have to be the newest Oculus Three. Uh, you download. It's like a computer, so you download apps. You can watch movies on it. You can, you know, it's a headset. You can do anything you want on it. But one of those is a Reflection Go app, which you can download, and uh, it's not too expensive um, to use. And it, it looks at those basic, basic components of vision: hand-eye coordination, reaction time, go no go decision. Um, follow the ability to follow a moving target, things like that. Some sports, you know, need more of one. Some sports need more of the other. But it's a system that uh, has resolution that you know has has the ability to teach and train, and it will go through a training process. Your ability to um, do well with these tasks, which are tasks that are important, that have been shown to be important to performance. What about the uh, synaptic glasses? Yep, synaptic is good as well. It really depends on how you're using them, right? They have they have a couple of different versions of them, um, and the, I had to think of two different things with the, these shutter glasses. One of them is the like the glasses that you know block and turn on, block and turn on, kind of periodically. There are other glasses um, that are from Holland or Netherlands, uh, Q shot, I think they're called, that are more interesting actually to me because those are glasses that are on, and there's a trigger that blocks your vision, and so if you think about it. Um, if you're throwing a ball, just a soft toss ball to somebody, right? It's one thing to have part of that entire trajectory kind of come and go with the, with the Snaptech glasses. It's something else to be able to see the first part of that movement and then have the glasses block your vision and still try to catch the ball. Uh, and if you think about batting, as we talked about, that's more akin to batting because in batting, you have to see a little bit, then predict. And after that, what your vision does is irrelevant because you can't decide and make your muscles move fast enough. And so the idea being, if you just do a soft toss to someone and force them to learn how to predict trajectory of a moving ball, but maybe block it at the very end, they'll catch it probably pretty easily. But obviously block it in the beginning, they don't have much to see. It's harder to know where it is and it's harder to do. And with these glasses, you can actually backtrack that blocking closer and closer to the release of the ball, making it harder and harder as they train to get better. Um, they even have a system where the, you can have a pitcher throw a pitch and as the hand breaks this infrared beam, the glasses turn off a certain amount of time later. So if you want to really train a batter to really concentrate on the first part of the pitch, you use something like that, where you start giving them a fair amount of you know vision. And as they're successful, you take away some and you get them to be successful. You take away more, get them to be more successful. And that's the way you back it up so that they have to really depend on just a little bit of vision to predict where the ball's going to go and have a reasonable chance of hitting it. Q shot, that's what it's called? Q shot, yeah. Q shot. Q, the letter Q-S-H-O-T, I believe, is the name of the glasses. Mm, love it. Tell you what, this has been a ton of fun. I appreciate you coming on. You're obviously, you know more about vision and, than I do, probably my left pinky alone. But um, where where can people go to to get, get the book? I, I, I'm excited to read it, get it in my own hands personally. Um, what's the best way for people to, to go and get it? Yeah, t- today today already it's uh, the 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 uh, the Kindle version is on is available for pre order. It's at a, in the beginning now since it's just you know in the pre order it's at a significantly discounted price of uh, ninety nine cents. Um, you know, I spend hours and hours working on it, but uh, they tell me that's the best way to get people aware of it. So um, for the next uh, till March tenth, I think it's ninety nine cents. Um, the hardcover and softcover should be in a day or two available as well as on Amazon. I'm waiting for Amazon has to review it. Um, we sent it in last week and I'm waiting for re- uh, the review 
uh, once they reviewed it, they opened it up for sales. Uh, the soft cover, and uh, you know, I got, I got a a pre a pre release copy, um, but the soft cover and the hard cover uh, should be in the next day or two. I have the champion. That's the name of it. I have the, yeah. I have the champion. Uh, here you go. Okay. Love now, it. you can go to my uh, website, sportsvision.nyc. Okay. Um, and there's a page for the book there um, that I have. Uh, right now, I have a piece uh, as of now because it's not out fully yet on the hardcover and softcover. You can put in uh, it, your name and address, email address. And then when it comes out, I'll be sending out an email to everybody who did that to know that it's available. Um, there's a... Uh, other things in there, if people want a consultation, a video consultation with me, they can do that. And, and as Sam putting together a course, it's not quite ready yet to uh, get this get this information out to as many people as we can across the planet, basically, because, uh, you know, I, I'm 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 maxed out. I really can't do a whole lot more in terms of work with this. Uh, but this knowledge shouldn't just stay with me or with these clubs. It should be available to everybody who wants to perform at their best. Awesome, Doctor. I appreciate you coming on. We're gonna get, we're gonna put all those links in the the book link and everything in the show notes for people to go and grab. But appreciate you for uh, coming on today. Great, my pleasure. And anyway, there's a place for uh, questions. If someone has questions, they can you know send something over. I try to get them as you know taken care of as soon as I can. But if someone has a burning question, I'm happy to to try to try to help them, guide them, point them in the right direction. Sounds good.